we just worship you in the highest. We sing to you. We praise you. We say that you are greater and higher than anything else, Father. We are saying that you are bigger than us, that you are more important than us. Father, we are saying that you are the answer to our lives. That, Father, that when we turn our lives over to you, that you are faithful, you are just with them, and you transform them into something special, into something new. Father, as we go through life, it's, you know, it's really easy and simple for us to sort of say, oops, we forgot about you, to feel like that for a whole decade, we just kind of ignored you and ignored your plan. And unfortunately, Father, those years we cannot get back. But God, we can get back starting today. Father, that we can recommit to you and put you first and foremost in our lives. Father, looking forward to what you will do in our future as we hold on to you rather than to ourselves, as we look to you rather than ourselves. Father, we're going to just do that right now by taking a moment and confessing our sins and our struggles and our brokenness and our selfishness. Father, let's just take a moment, each of you, go to, to, to go to you and just put everything that we have on the table. Just to be honest, get rid of all the yuck, get rid of all the things that's entangling us and keeping us from living as you would have us live. Let's just do that now. Father, forgive us. Lord, help us to be washed completely clean to be able to serve you and you alone. Father, we, we pray for all the struggles that we have. May they be a part of our past. Lord, may you help us. Even if we struggle with addiction, Father, Lord, may you push that aside. May you give us the, the willpower and the strength to fight each day and to be more like you as we go through life. Father, we pray this morning that you would just encourage us. We thank you that you have given us second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances all the way to our last chance, Father. You have given us so many opportunities that you continue to love us, that no matter what we do, that you love us. You desire right relationship with us. Father, we thank you for that, Lord. We ask your Holy Spirit just be poured out on our lives, poured out on our church, our ministry, as we seeking to build, as we seeking to, to transform people's lives. Father, Lord, may the the gates of the enemy, not his power, not stand against us. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's the wrong clip. Wrong clip. Wrong clip. Thank you. Okay. All right. He'll re-cue it. It's a wrong chapter. It should have been chapter 11. Um, he'll recue it for later on and maybe we'll show it, uh, next, next service. Okay. Uh, basically the clip was supposed to be about the fact that as we are parents, um, uh, one of the struggles that we have, um, as parents is to be able to, um, teach our children to be able to lead our children in the right way, to be able to help them to grow in the right way. So we're going to be talking about th that this morning, how we worship God. Um, and how we worship God as a family rather than just individuals. Oops, we forgot God. That's a series that we're working on right now. Um, and uh, we talked about this issue that for many of us, the temptation and the struggle is for us who are, uh, as we go through life, that our world has become so secularized. Our world has become so focused on the me, 
on getting what I deserve, on the money, on the bling, on the whatever it may be, right? That our world is so focused on that, that it's easy for us to go through life and forget about God. It's easy for the weeks and the months to pass by and us to realize, you know, I haven't had a chance to go to church or I haven't had a chance to worship God. For a lot of you here, this service, this doesn't include you because you're probably regular at BBC, um, but it's still a temptation that we will have for us to be able to live life rather than by our own means and on our own strength to turn over our strength to God and to focus on him first and foremost. Chuck, the lights are wrong. If you could get the just the front ones, that would be awesome. Just the number ones on. Thank you. Um, so if um, if we go through life and we talk about this this issue of forgetting God, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that in our lives. We want to keep God central in our lives. Thank you. We want to keep God central in our in our day to day in our day to day walk. We want to keep God. We want to keep God focused not only in our in our individual lives, but also in the lives of our family. Now, this is the struggle that we have because it's easy for us to sort of talk about God individually. But when it comes to our family, it introduces a whole host of problems. And we're going to talk about some of those problems. Our four week series, though, is the centrality of worship, keeping worship real and alive in our lives, keeping worship first and foremost amongst ourselves, what we are supposed to do, keeping God first, keeping him central in our lives. All right, here's our strategy. Strategy is last week we talked about the centrality of God, centrality of worship in our lives, starting with ourselves, right? And we looked at Exodus, right? We looked at the Ten Commandments, the very beginning, talking of that famous passage where it says God is a jealous God. We talked about you know what that means, but let's just recap real quickly. Um, the Ten Commandments start out by God talking about who? Who does God talk about first in the Ten Commandments? If we remember from last week, who does God talk about him first? Well, there's only three options, right? I mean, he could talk about us. He could talk about him. I suppose he could talk about the enemy. But that's really only your three options, right? You got. So come on, 33% chance. What do you guys think? Thirty. Who does he talk about? Himself, right, good Ella, he talks about himself. Why does he talk about himself first? Well, he's God and he's allowed to do that, of course. But he talks about himself first because he's demonstrating his faithfulness in the past. He says, I am the Lord your God who have called you out of Egypt, out of your slavery, right? And so God is starting by talking about himself, as we talked about last week, because he is demonstrating his faithfulness in the past. He is saying, look, I have been faithful to you in the past and you can have confidence and faith that I am going to continue to be faithful to you over time, that I'm not going to just abandon you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to demonstrate that. As we talked about last week, this this past month, I've been going through the headache yet again of trying to find a renter of my house in New York, right? Um, and it's hard because you're not there. And so I have to be extra careful. And when people email me and say, I'd like to rent your house, I have to do what? I have to find out what they've done in the past. That's really important. I need to have some sense of whether they're going to be faithful or whether they're not going to be faithful. And so God starts out that way. We also talked about how that without a covenant with God, it is impossible to worship God. There are people out there who think in our world that if they just kind of go to church every now and again, if they kind of burn some candles, light some this, do something, you know, I don't know, Rastafarian, smoke something, right? Whatever it may be, you know, that they're worshiping God. But the Bible tells us that without a covenant with God, Without that contract by which we are his children, it is actually impossible to worship God. And in fact, the relationship that we have with God is one dimensional. 
It's one directional because it is God pursuing you, trying to get you to turn your life over to God. Only when we have a covenant or a contract with God, a peace treaty, is the worship, is the relationship two way. All right. So when God says, as we talked about last week, that he's a jealous God, he doesn't, it's not the stalker where he's pursuing people. It's this idea that he wants to be with the person who he covenanted with. Okay, so when I'm on vacation, like when I go to uh, SBL every year, I have to go for, I don't guess I have to go, but I, I need to go for like a week and I'm gone every November and, you know, my kids don't go with me. And when I talk to my wife on Skype or over the phone, I, you know, I, it might be that I say I am jealous because you're with the kids. It's not weird. It's not stalkery. It just means that I really wish I could be there. Right. I am jealous. I'm envious of you. It's a good jealousy. It's a good envy. And so God is jealous of us when we do what? When we are questioning whether or not we're going to be faithful to him. And so when we keep God central in our lives, when we keep God worshiping, when we keep our worship of him central, it transforms our lives. Um, CJ in the life group um, uh, handouts that we do every week, he quoted a, a pastor who's kind of famous today um, and talked about, and the pastor said that every problem that we have in life is ultimately a worship problem. Now, I might disagree a little bit, as I told all the life groups that I happened to visit this week. I would probably say that every problem that we have is a sin problem. Of course, I'm more of a negative guy, maybe, and he's more positive guy. But you can argue, it's the same, it's like two sides of the same coin, because why does he say that, for those of you that weren't in life group this week, why does he say that every problem that we have is a worship problem? Because every problem that we have in our lives, we have to choose whether we're going to do what? Glorify God in it, or whether we're going to serve ourselves. And if we glorify God in every problem, in every situation, those problems melt away and God takes care of it. The more we turn over to him, the more he is capable and the more he is willing to take care of it. Again, if you don't believe me, if you're here and you're still in that lukewarm phase, you can ask people who are believers and they will testify to what God has done in their own lives to take that away. All right, today we're going to talk about in our family. We're going to talk about this issue of following God in our family. This is one of those challenges and keeping him central worshiping him in our family. This is one of those challenges that we all face. I'm going to speak primarily for those of us who have kids. However, I am recognizing that a lot of us don't have kids or our kids are grown up or um, we just don't, you know, we're not married or we're single and that sort of thing. And I believe that what I'm going to talk about is applicable in all those situations. Albeit, it's a little more easy when you have kids who are like six and you can tell them what to do for the most part, okay? If you have kids who are like 21 and you need to hear this message, your, 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 well, your task is cut out for you, okay? I'm not gonna lie to you. But it's still, it's still very important. It just, the application gets modified a little bit, okay? So today we're gonna talk about worship in our family. We're gonna see what the Bible says, and we're gonna look at this awesome passage called the Shema. It's in Deuteronomy 6. And, uh, if you wanna go and turn there in your Bibles, it's a good one. If you've never read this passage, you definitely need to check it out. Um, we're going to look at it. We're not going to look at some of the historical aspects of it, not so much. We're just going to look at it as far as keeping worship central in our lives. That's Deuteronomy 6. It'll be up on the big screen, but if you have your Bibles, you might want to open to it. That's what I'm doing. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to read like 1 through 9, I think is what it is. Okay, Deuteronomy 6. All right, here we go. Um, now, this is also right after the Ten Commandments. So the Ten Commandments and these passages in the first five books of the Bible are very useful because they are the most, I guess you would say, sort of clear cut in the Bible about what people of God are supposed to do. Not meaning like literally 
A, do A, B, C, D. But to give you a sense of how the covenant works, how our promise to God really works, okay? And so, again, there's going to be some things that uh, will not be as applicable today, but the general consensus, the general idea is right on. So these are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. Talking about the Ten Commandments, talking about the covenant that um, the people of God had with the Lord. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. Really, be in awe of the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all His decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, um, and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Now let me just pause here, because some of us get confused when we read this part of the Bible. Part of the original agreement that God had with His people at that time, because Christ had not yet come, involved their being in a specific place, which the Bible refers to as the whole, the land, or we call it the Holy Land today, and that that was part of that original agreement. When Christ came, it superseded or fulfilled that agreement, and so we're not necessarily tied down to a specific land or place or anything like that. Those were sort of the training wheels, okay? But for us, what we're called to do is no less important. The covenant that we have with God through Jesus Christ is no less important, and in fact, I would argue really more important, because everything that the, that's in the Old Testament, you know, the first half of the Bible, is really designed just to teach us about what Christ would be, and how we're to have a relationship with Him. People in the Old Testament, they look forward to knowing God. So don't think of it like, wow, it's really cool, because they had their own land, and you know, they were going to have milk and honey, and it was going to be overflowing. It sounds really beautiful, because I can guarantee you that if those faithful people were here today, well, if they had a choice, they would rather be here today and not because they have automobiles and computers. They would rather be here today because they would like to know how God worked it all out in the end. We don't know exactly how it will end in the end end, but we know a lot more than they did. And believe me, they wish they were here. Um, they're jealous in a good way of you and I. Okay, so here's what here's what part of this covenant is. Here's what well, here's what the call is. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you are at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed and when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your foreheads as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Okay, right? So again, he's saying what? you got to teach your people... Teach the people what God has done and what we should do so that we can honor God. And then it gives lots of different examples. We're going to talk about this verse in, in the context of this today. Two ideas real quickly, if you want to follow along in your handout, is that number one, we must put God first in our family. That is not just important of us for us to put God in our lives, but we must put God first in our family. Here's a big oops moment for a lot of us. And, and I know because I'm a parent. And I know how difficult it is. In our day-to-day -day life, we can we can be individually be focused on God, right? We can come to church on Sunday. We can be talking about, you know, in our we can have our quiet time, which is individual, right? We can, you know, praise God as we're driving to work, listen to Caleb or whatever it is, you know. I mean, there's a lot of individual stuff that we can do to worship God. But 
let's just take our minds off the individual for a second and talk about our families. Because the problem is, for many of us, is that our families are marked by, oops, we forgot God as a family, even if we didn't forget about God individually. Now, the modern church, to a certain degree, exacerbates this. You know why? Because, you know, we live in a world of Costcoification of the church and the megachurch and all that sort of thing. And, and, and there's no, I mean, I don't know any way around it. It's just the way our society is. But we go to church and we all immediately split up into four different directions, right? Um, if assuming, you know, mom, dad, son, daughter, whatever it may be. I mean, a lot of people that come to BBC for the first time thinking that we're a larger church, they come in and they want to know where all the departments are so they can drop off each individual member of their family, right? And then they each go their own separate way. And then when everything's done, they wrap up back together. But there's a danger in that. And, and, and you know, there's, I mean, you know, there's certain limits on what churches and people can do. But there's a danger in that because we have individualized worship to the point where our families as a unit have forgot about God. Okay, let me say this again so we're all on the same page. You and your family can each individually worship God. And you may do it well. You may be very faithful individually. But as a family unit together you still may be in danger of, oops, I forgot about God as a family if you're not involved as a family doing something together to worship God, to keep Him central. By the way, this becomes really important because it if you just individually do everything, then the limit or the ability of being able to work together and the ability to grow together, uh, it's going to work against you in the long run. We'll talk about that in just a second. We must put God first <clears throat> in our family. The more we know about God, the better our worship. Let's just start with some general principles of worship and then talk about this issue of, um, talk about this issue of family worship. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you. This is Moses speaking. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy and you are your children, your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. And so what happens is the Bible starts here with the Shema starts talking. That's just the old fashioned name for it. Talks about the fact that we should know all the ins and outs of God, that we should know about him. Right. Um, let me just ask the question. Is it possible to worship God without knowing him very well? Is it easier to worship God if we know a lot about him? Well, I would argue it is because as we talked about last week, worship is not a ritual, right? It's not important, and I believe me, I know church culture works against this, but it's not important if you know when to stand and when to sing, when to sit, when to, when to kneel, when to bow your head. Those things are inconsequential compared to knowing about God. The more we know God and the more we know His heart and the more we know what His call is on our lives, the easier and more successful we will be to worship Him. Now, you know what kind of person I meet all the time? That, you know, when, when you, when you, when you deal with spiritual issues, it's easy to sort of qualify people. And I'm not saying that's right, but just for shorthand, as pastors, a lot of times we sort of qualify people. Now, I hope nobody gets offended by this, but let's, I'll just give an example. Lukewarm person, right? Okay. So somebody comes just at Easter, you know, and, you know, they're just lukewarm. So, I, 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 I treat them individually, but in the back of my mind, I have the lukewarm box checked, right? Okay. At work, let you do the same thing. Cause at work, you, you know who the lazy people are. You know who the motivated people are, right? Okay. All right. 
So you don't, you're not trying to be mean or stereotype, but you kind of just in the back of your mind, you kind of know, you know, where people are. Okay. So one of the people is, you know, uh, uh, lukewarm. Okay. So that's the qualification. <clears throat> but you know, there's another, there's another segment of people I meet all the time. And I would call them excited about God, but completely ignorant of Him. Because a lot of people that I know, they, they, they love God. They love the concept of God. They're excited about God. But if you try to ask them any questions about God and who He is, they don't really know anything about God. And so they're like the parable of the soils that Jesus talks about. I mean, their, their soil, the, the roots are so shallow in the soil that when anything happens in their lives, what happens to them? You don't see them anymore because they're just blown away. And so for us to really be able to worship God, we have to know God. We have to actually get to know Him. It is not sufficient for me to lead you through worship. That's, that cannot happen. That doesn't work. I can stand up here, I can jump on my head, I can jump up and down, I can do whatever. And that's not going to cause you to worship God. What's going to cause you to worship God is knowing Him. Let me say it another way. I could, I could do a message on loving your spouse, and I can jump up here and jump up and down and, you know, show romantic movie clips and do everything to cajole you and convince you to love your spouse. But at the end of the day, the easiest way, the best way of loving your spouse is just to get to know your spouse and decide that you want to love them. It's really hard. I mean, can you imagine what, I mean, worship is intimate, right? I mean, can you imagine what it's like? Well, yeah, let me give you this example. You know, what about when you meet someone for the first time, right? You know, it's awkward because you're like, you don't, you're like, hi, I'm Douglas. Nice to meet you. Okay, yeah. Does everybody feel awkward when they meet someone the first time, like they have to do lunch with them, like a business lunch or something like that? It's a little awkward, right? Because unless you're just a total people person, it's a little awkward. Because you don't know this person. You don't know what they're going to say. And many of us are awkward around God because we just don't know him. Oh, we're excited about God, but we're awkward around God because we don't know him. We have to know God. And the Bible's clear that the way we know God is what? is we look in his word, we read his word, and we understand what he's asking us to do. And when we understand who he is and what he's asking us to do, we are more likely to be more successful at worship. The more we know about God, the better our worship will be. You know, our kids will ask us questions. What are we going to tell them? I would like to be at the bedside of lots of people, both who I know and who I don't know, when their kids ask spiritual questions. How can you answer your kids' questions if you don't know? Now, I'm going to tell you a true story. I didn't plan this one. I didn't plan this one. But last night, as I was putting Wyatt to bed, actually, Noelle's putting Wyatt to bed. I was, I was in my office. And Noelle hollered at me and said, can you come here for a second? Theological question. I was like, okay, well, what does that mean? Okay, so I came in and, and I said, what is it, Wyatt? He said, Daddy, what is hope? And I thought, you know, okay, really cool. So I had a chance to explain to him that when you get in the car and you start, when, when mom and daddy and you and Bridget get in the car and we're driving around and suddenly as you're, as you're thinking about places where we could go, you think about frozen yogurt, right? Cause he likes frozen yogurt. We all like frozen yogurt, right? And then in his heart, he says, man, I, it'd be nice if we could get frozen yogurt. That's hope. That's human hope. I said, but when we deal with God, 
we know that we're always going to get the frozen yogurt because God always wants what's best for us. And so we, we hope that we'll get frozen yogurt when we're in the car with mom and daddy. But when with God, we know that we're going to get the frozen yogurt. And he said, yeah, then my brain hurts. Meaning the cold, you know, when you eat it, it gets cold, right? Right. So he got it. But it's fortunate because I was able to take the time and explain to him what these things are. But many of us, if we don't know God, we answer with what? I don't know, son. Ask your Sunday school teacher. But my friends, that is a, that's bad. That's not going to work. Because your kids don't respect your Sunday school teacher like they respect you. Okay? We cannot take a pass on helping our children and our family members be discipled and love God. We have to be active and proactive in that. If we are not, it will work out poorly for us in the end. So the problem is people are going to ask us, whether our kids are 3 or 33, they may not ask us that way when they're 33. But it is critical that we include our family in worship, that we don't just do everything individually, but that we make family worship be central in our lives as well. All right, family worship starts within and works outward. But here's where, let's talk about this. Just so we're clear here, Deuteronomy 6 is this. If you and, and you and your children must fear the Lord your God as long as you live, if you obey all his decrees and demand, you will enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel, and be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you, and you will have many children land of God your ancestors promised you. Listen, okay. So Moses here is speaking to who? He's not speaking to the family as much as he is the individuals at the very beginning. Why is that? Well, it's because it was imperative on the parents to be the ones with whom worship started, right? Not just the kids. Uh, Let me say it another way. That if we want to see transformation in our families, it has to start with us specifically and work outward, okay? It cannot work the other way. It can, you cannot bring your kids to church hoping that somehow they're going to just get something and learn something and listen to the pastor where they won't listen to me. It's just not going to work. God didn't design it that way. If it in the 10% chance that you get lucky, then you just need to just thank God for, for that. OK, but for most people, it's not going to work that way. I mean, there's always, you know, a few percent of people who they drop their, you know, we all know one person who dropped their kids off at church and never came to church themselves and their kids grew up really loving the Lord. Yeah, that's the 10 percent. OK, that's the that's the that's the oddity. That's not the way that we want to go. That doesn't really encourage your kids. That's just your kids have decided they don't want to be like you, maybe. I don't know. And so they go the other direction. Family worship starts within and works outward. Listen, here's here's the thing here. Only your transformation, meaning you the parent, you the Christian, if you're the only Christian in your family, you the individual, only your transformation will affect the transformation of your family. Preaching never works with family. I mean, you know, again, there's exceptions, but it just never works with family. God, people have to know that you're being transformed on the inside, but then that transformation is spilling over into their lives. Okay, so here's the two things, just so we're really clear. Number one, there's a temptation to do what? There's a temptation to only worship, well, it's a temptation to be lukewarm. That'd be number one, okay, and just to drop our kids off, but that's not going to work. There's also a temptation for us to do what? For us to just worship God ourselves and hope our kids just sort of get it. Or hope our family members just sort of get it. But those two things are not going to be sufficient. 
The two things that are required if you want to have your family worship God as well is to do what? Number one, you have to get it right in your own life. And number two, you have to then have that getting it right in your life spill over into their life as well. You can't preach at them because I don't believe that's going to work. I believe that you have to just take, nah, let me, let me see, every family is going to be different, but I would say, depending upon your age, depending upon things, you want to be transformed and then you want that transformation to spill over naturally in their lives and challenge them by your actions as well as your words to worship God with you. Would you have younger kids? Yes. You can do what I do. You know, you can read the Bible with them. We read the Bible every night. We talk about the Bible. Um, we pray together. Yes, I have a job that never ends. So don't tell me that you're too busy. I probably put as many hours in as all of you guys. So don't, don't, don't say that just because I'm pastor and work an hour a week that I got plenty of time for that. You got time to, you got to make the time. Okay. But you know, with younger kids, that's easy. With older kids though, or brothers or sisters, if you're single or just, or, or, or other relatives that you hang out with and that sort of thing, it's harder because the older they get, the less, you know, the less you can make them do it. But that's okay because making them do it doesn't really last very long anyway. I mean, by the time they're six, they're going to tune you out probably if they, if they don't want to listen, right? So you only got a couple of years. And, and so what happens is you have to find a way for the transformation in your life to begin to affect other people's lives as well. But the, but the thing is you cannot stop because one of the things that happens is Christians, and we'll talk about this in a second in more detail, Christians feel like that if they worship God themselves, as long as they get their kids to go to church and they don't talk about it anymore, that's sufficient. But it's not. Secondly, we must teach our family to worship God. It is critical that not only are we involved in bringing them to church, which bringing them to church probably will just create a lukewarm Christian, but that we must actually teach them as well, that we must actually be involved in instructing them. By the way, you may if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm single and the only relatives I have is brothers and sisters and my mom and dad, how can I teach them? Oh, you can, you can. It's just going to be harder because your method of instruction is not going to be preaching or lecturing. Your method of instruction is going to be different. Your method of instruction may be influencing. Your method of instruction may be challenging. Your method of instruction may be exhortative, which means you're saying things just to encourage them, saying things to get them going. Maybe it's daily emails. Maybe it's just praying for them. I, you know, I don't know what it is, but there are ways that you can be involved in teaching your family. Hey, let me tell you a little secret. Mm. You know, one of the things that the church used to do better than it does today, and, and we can debate this. I mean, as a student of the church, I mean, there's strengths and weaknesses. But one of the things the church used to do probably better than it does today is to instruct and know God individually and as a family. Let me give you an example. Um, a long time ago, they used to have things like catechisms and confirmation. You know, and some churches still do that although we consider old and boring, where you would actually learn some things and you would sort of be instructed in the way to live. Now, of course, again, the, the goal of that was never really, and, and the problem comes in is when churches do that, because it used to be done, a lot of people would do it as a family. You know, I mean, like the books that, one of the books that Noel has um, that we are teaching Wyatt to read from is like 200 years old. You know why it's 200 years old? It's 200 years old because it's a discipling, book on learning English to read it. Let me say that again. In other words, the book uses scripture to be able to teach Wyatt how to read and write English. 
Okay? Because there used to be a little bit more of that. People used to, it was more important to them back then. Um, the, the other thing is, let me give an example. You know, there was a time, um, well, let me put it this way. Some songs that we do in church, because I don't want to say that in the past it was always like that, because it really wasn't the case. Uh, we can be very selective, and we don't want to be selective. We want to be fair. But some songs are designed to teach us about who God is. Now, if we do all songs that teach, it's not very much fun. But a lot, but some of the songs, especially some, there's certain, I don't want to use the word hymns, but there are certain songs that in the past have been instructional. And today, some of the mod, more modern songs are starting to also become instructional as they're getting out of the baby phase and into the walking phase. And it's good to see. What about prayer? You know? I mean, is everybody, I don't know if you notice this, but I usually try to pray in such a way as to be instructional. I don't just pray, oh God, oh God, we love you. Amen. Right? What do I do even during prayer time? I'm trying to show you a possible way of praying by adoring God, by forgiveness of sins, by thanking Him for what He did, and by asking Him to be involved in our lives. Or you can do it other ways. By talking about, you know, even a lot of times I define holiness even in prayer. So when people, maybe they fall asleep during the message, they still hear um, they still hear the, the, the words as we're talking about it. You know, when we talk to people, our words... It is possible for our words to be instructional for them to learn about God through us. But it only happens if we know God. So again, we come back to this question. Daddy, who is God? And we answer what? Uh, well, he's this guy up in outer space who loves everybody. Hey, that's really edifying, right? Right? No, not so much. And so if we don't understand God, we, it will be impossible for us to, to be able to communicate God to our kids. And by the way, our kids and our family members, when you tell them that God is some big guy upstairs in outer space, they're going to remember that more than they're going to remember me going blah, 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 blah about who God is. And so it doesn't matter how old your kids is. If they're under 18, you still got there's some hope. If you're, they're over 18, then well, come, we'll pray about it. Okay. But if they're under 18, don't, don't, don't just, don't, don't take this message and flush it because you're thinking your kids are 17 and not going to listen to you because they are. I mean, it's going to be hard. I'm not lying. But there's, you still have, you still have a chance. Okay. We must teach our family to worship. Look, here's what happens. Family worship needs to happen on a regular basis. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands I'm giving you today. So what are we supposed to do? Teach them, repeat them again and again to your children, right? Tell your children over and over again how much God loves them and how much they are to love God and how much we uh, are to obey what God calls us to do. Repeat them to them over and over again. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Does anybody know how ridiculous some of the legalist people became about this verse? Does anybody know why this verse is famous and historically what this verse means? Do you know that within like, I don't know, 800 years after this, that people would actually write out parts of the Bible and they would literally write it on paper and then tie it to their bodies? Because it became what to them? Magic. Ritual. That's what it was. Just another ritual. They thought if I tie this to my body, like it says literally, 
tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as a reminder. They literally would put it right here on their forehead. They would write it and they would stick it to their forehead. That seems really stupid to us today, doesn't it? Although we do some ritualistic, silly things too, don't we? We have our own idols that we bow down to. But what happened is, is that they missed the whole point of it. They thought if I just simply stick it on my head that somehow magically this ritual is going to make a difference. But we talked about this last week because it's not a ritual that is worship. It is our heart that is worship. You know, I was reading Joel last night, which, it, you know, Joel's interesting book in the Bible. And uh, I, I'm just, I got to do a book sometime on this idea because, I mean, I know it's already been done before, but it's fascinating because in Joel, you know, Joel's prophesying about how, you know, evil people have become and how God is going to have to set everything right. It's a book on justice, right? And Joel prophesies, says, I don't want you to rend your clothes. I don't want you to rend your heart. You know, and again, it shows over and over and over again that people confuse outward ritual with inward transformation. But if you want to see your kids change outwardly, meaning not be hellions, okay, meaning not steal your car and go party down in Monterey, you've got to have inward transformation occur in their lives because that's the only thing that's going to change them. Inward transformation. That's the only thing that changes anybody is inward transformation. Family worship needs to happen on a regular basis. Listen, the Shema says basically that we got to do it all the time. It's not enough. It's not enough. Let, look, let me give you an example. Every Sunday you come in here, most of you, you come in and I say our vision at Marius Valley Church is to do what? Extend hope to people, right? Tell them about who Jesus is. And you know what? Why do I do that every single week? Because if I didn't do it one week, you'd forget it. That's how, that's the way people are. You know, we forget things. We, 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 the time just passes. Oops, we forgot about the vision. Oops, yeah, I know it can become noise, right? Some people say, why do you do it every week? Because it just becomes sort of noise in the background. Yeah, there's a danger of that, right? But at the same time, it's, I just feel as though the Bible tells us that it's better to err on the side of regular, not insistent. We don't want to be jerks about it. But regular worship of God in our families, rather than just saying, oh, well, we do it too much, they, they won't do it. Family worship needs to happen on a regular basis. If you want to have your kids grow up and serve God, then they need to know that you are serving God. And if they only see you serving God because you come to church, they're going to equate what? They're going to know that serving God is just about attending church. Which is why we have lots of people who just attend church. Because their dad was too masculine to tell them that they love God. Their dad couldn't admit it. He would just bring them to church, drop them off, or come in and sit down in the back. And that's what they thought church was about. Because that's what dad did. Or that's what mom did. You cannot delegate teaching your children to others, to schools, even to church. Moses is telling the people of God, listen, you individually must teach your children to obey God. And you know what? Our society increasingly encourages parents to delegate everything to other people. But you cannot delegate it to school. You cannot delegate it to church. Don't delegate it to me. I'm going to push it back on you. Okay? Because I'm not going to take that responsibility. Why? Because the primary responsibility of a parent is to be able to do what? To teach their kids what is right and what is wrong. And 
we know that what is right and what is wrong is not based on some arbitrary rule that some social scientist or some politician made up. Right and wrong is based on what God has told us and revealed to us is right and wrong. So yeah, the church, we want to facilitate, we want to help, we want to encourage, we want to do everything that we can to help you help your children. But at the end of the day, we're only with them an hour a week. And you're with them 24-7. Except when they steal your car and go to Monterey. And then you're praying for them, hopefully. And when they get back, you're instructing them, hopefully. Right? And so, our temptation... To, look, I know. Because, I mean, one of the things that we've struggled with here is a children's ministry. I know, because we don't have building space. It's, it's terrible. It's tough. And, and, and those of you that are here, you stuck with the church, and that's awesome. And there's a, and I, I really believe something deep down in my heart. I believe you've either stuck with the church, and I'm not talking about you in this service, but in all the services, and people come right away, either two reasons. Either number one, um, you've done it because you feel like God is calling you here. A lot of you have said that to me. Uh, or no, and number two, a lot of you understand that the person that's most responsible for your kids is you. And a lot of you have told me that as well, too. Again, when people come in from thinking this is a mega church, they immediately want to drop off their kids and be done with them. And I have to tell you, I, I mean, I understand, but I'm, I'm, my wife's always like, well, if you, you know, you had a bad week and you're a parent, but at the same time, going to a strange place and just turning your kids over to somebody that you don't know, teaching them, Lord only knows what, I just, I can't, I just can't see that myself. I just can't see that. When we go on vacation, we don't just turn our kids loose at somebody else's church. We don't know what they teach. We don't know what they do. We don't know them. At the end of the day, you have to take responsibility for keep teaching your own kids. Again, it's not that we don't want to help. We do. We absolutely want to help. We want great kids' ministry. I cannot wait till that stupid build gets built so that we can have all the rooms so we can do all the wonderful kids' ministry. But even then, parents have to be the ones to lead their children in worship. Otherwise, they will think that you are not really that interested in it. They'll think that you're using that as a babysitter. And by the way, a lot of them know that that's what happened. Look, when I was in New York, a large church, a lot of the kids knew that their parents were using the kids' ministry as a babysitter. They're not dumb. They're eight. They're not dumb. Okay? And it didn't really work because didn't really help. You know what the biggest whopper of all that we hear in our society is? Hope this doesn't make anybody hungry. But does anybody know what the biggest whopper of all that we hear in our society? I talked about this a couple years ago. This. I'm going to let my children choose their religion for themselves. My friends, this is the biggest, fattest lie you could tell yourself. Listen, the prophets of materialism, hedonism, secularism, nihilism, and every other rotten, stinky-ism in our world are going to do everything in their power to convince and convert your children and your family members. Do you think the hedonist cares about whether or not they convert your children without you knowing it? No, they don't care. And so when you tell yourself that you know, I'm going to let my children choose their religion for yourselves. You know what you're doing? You're abandoning them to the currents of our world. You're abandoning them as little children to be influenced by other people, many of whom do not have your children's best interests at heart. 
But yet Christian families do this over and over and over again because they're worried about hurting their kids' feelings. Or they're, it takes struggle. and it Yeah, it's struggle. I mean, Wyatt is going to grow up and be a pastor's kid, which means he has a statistical like a 90% chance of being evil and a hellion because that's what most pastor's kids are, right? You know what? When I go home and when Noel go home, we could just, when he's being naughty, we could just, you know, just not deal with it. We could just, you know, just say, I'm too tired tonight to do it. But you know what? You cannot give up. Because as soon as you give up, you've lost the battle. As soon as you give up, you lost the battle. And if you don't even fight the battle, well, you could forget it ever working out in a positive way. You know, the Bible says, and here's the thing. It says, train up a child in the way he will go. When he's old, he will not depart from it. Right? Except it actually doesn't say that in the Hebrew. Most people don't realize that. It's mistranslated in King James. Well, they translated that way for a reason, but it was wrong. What it says in the Hebrew is, it says, if you do not train up a child in the way he will go, when he's old, he will not depart from that. And what happens is in the English, it's not negated. It's in the positive. But the actual Hebrew is in the negative. And you know why? what the difference there is? The difference is, is that the Bible does not promise you if you raise your child right, that your child will do the right thing. That is not a promise in Scripture. The promise in Scripture is, is that if you do not try to raise your child in the right way, the promise is they will not do what is right. They will just run wild and you have no control over what they do. That's the promise in Scripture. That if you don't try, you're bound to fail. That's what the, that's what the promise is. Our culture wants to convince Christian parents not to raise their children as Christian because they want their children, they want your children for themselves. They want your children to be hedonists. They want your children to be secularists. They want your children to be agnostic, atheists. They don't care. They want your children to buy their product. That's what they care most about. And if your child buys their product because they're, you know, because their product is this or product is that, they don't really care. They just want your child to do what they want it to do. I'm not trying to paint an overly nasty picture of the world. I'm just trying to paint an honest picture of the world. So there will be people who try to convert your children. And my friends, you need to already make a stand for your kids before it is too late. And for your family members too. Maybe you have a, you know, maybe you're not married. You have a brother who's 35. Hey, I'm telling you what, the prophets of this are also trying to influence him too. It doesn't change. The older we get, the more our decisions already been made. But there's still hope. There's still hope for everyone. Family worship must teach and not ritualize. Real quickly here this morning, here's one thing that's absolutely positively is really critical. The one place of application. It is really important that when you teach your children and when the worship of God spills over in your life, it does not spill over in a ritualistic way. Okay? Because ritual doesn't make a difference. Listen, you could say, well, pastor, I want to start teaching my kids. I want to start teaching friends of mine. I want to be influential in my family, my older family. I'm going to start getting them to come to church and I'm going to come to church with them. Hey, you know what? That's great. That's a start. But if it ends there, you will teach them that faith is about ritual. But faith is not about ritual. You know what? Most of us probably have this right here in their home. What is this? Family Bible. No, it's not. Okay. All right. No, I don't know today. But back in the day, everyone had a family Bible in their home, right? What's a family Bible? It's a big old fat book that sits in the living room that no one ever reads or touches, right? 
I mean, we had one growing up, and I don't think we ever opened it maybe once or twice. Oh, we had it, and the magic powers flowed off of it into our lives, right? No, because it doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. Listen, we can put crosses up in our house. We can put family Bibles in the foyer. We can put God bless this mess in big letters over our kitchen. But you know what? All those things are still rituals. They are rituals and your kids will learn that when, here's what they'll learn. They'll learn that when they get married and settle down, they should go out and buy a big old book and put in the foyer that becomes dusty and no one ever uses. That's what they're going to learn. For us to be able to worship God, it is critical that we do it as a family, but that it is honest worship and instruction, not ritualization. Teaching your kids to pray is good. Teach your kids the same prayer every single time is bad. Why is it bad? Because you teach them to do it by rote. You're teaching them to do it by saying the same words over and over again rather than teach them to pray. All right? So when you go to instruct people and as the Spirit is coming out of you, as God is speaking in your lives and you're trying to see people be transformed in your lives, whether it be your kids, your cousins, your brothers, whatever it may be, it has to be honest, first of all, in yourself. Number two, it has to be honest also when it comes out of you. It cannot be ritual. It cannot be rote. It cannot be delegated. It has to be you personally talking to people. Comes back to this question. Daddy, who is God? Okay. If I give him a formula answer, it won't work as well as me just taking the time to explain to him who God is and then doing it on a regular basis. Okay. Listen. Do not give up hope. No matter how old you are, you, you may have young kids, you may have old kids, doesn't matter. You still have the opportunity to instruct them. But you know what? You've got to get it right in your life first. That's why it's imperative that you learn about who God is so that you can help other people know who God is well. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, Lord, and we thank you that we are able to commit our lives to God. We thank you that we are able to worship Him and worship you, God, that we are able to know you. God, we just pray that we would be able to teach others about you, that we would be able to instruct them. Father, I pray a special prayer for all the families who have young kids. God, that you would just help them to be able to teach their kids. Don't put it off. Don't think somebody else is going to do it. Don't say, well, I don't know enough. Find out. Father, help those people with young kids, especially to be able to um, instruct their kids. Father, for those who have teenagers, we also pray for them as well because Maybe they're coming at it late, Lord. Maybe they feel like there's no hope. The kids have already too far gone. But I would just say, Father, that it's never too late. And uh, Lord, I just pray for them that they would be encouraged and emboldened to not give up, even in the face of arguments and fights and that sort of thing, Father, but to bring family to you. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.